Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. This week and next week uh, are very uh, in simpatico. Uh, next week, we're going to focus on targeted blueprint policies uh, in Frankfurt for the 2021 session. I hope all of you know, uh, and I, I certainly hope Representative Hatton knows, that when we talk blueprint policies, those emanate from data. They're not ideological. They're not philosophical. They're not our opinion. They're because data says these are issues that we need to address. And uh, so that's going to be the focus next week. Uh, At the moment, we're going to sort of unveil the targeted uh, priorities. uh, And then I'm going to have a a one-to-one with President Stivers, sort of a what's this look like uh, from his perspective. Uh, Today, we want to really dig a little more deeply into the data uh, you know that our county book was released uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, as Jesse referenced, you know that what we do is take every data point and disaggregate that to the county level. Uh, because while we want uh, leaders like Representative Hatton to look at big picture trends in Kentucky, we also want leaders in local communities to look at how their hometown how their county is doing, Uh, where are we improving, where are we staying status quo, where are we declining, and and that's so important uh, as we improve the lives of little boys and little girls in in every piece of Kentucky. Uh, Today, uh, Mahek, I don't want to bury your lead, but uh, we have two absolute champions for kids in Frankfurt, uh, Representative Angie Hatton, who is a key leader with uh, House Democrats. And uh, joining us at about 1030 is Senator Julie Rocky Adams, who uh, is a key kid leader for uh, Republicans in the Senate. Uh, You all have heard us say, and we're going to continue to say, that the common ground, the common sense, the common good agenda item for Frankfurt in 2021, whether we're talking about policies or that odd, weird one-year budget, the the link that combines House Democrats and House Republicans, Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans, the Bashir administration, and the General Assembly, the common link are kids and families. And uh, that's what you're going to hear today. That's what you're going to hear next week. And that's what we hope we see in Frankfurt in 2021. So again, thanks for joining us. We're getting close to making the 40th consecutive week of these forums. So Mahek, I'll kick it to you and take it from here. Thanks, Terry. And thanks everyone for joining today. 
Um, so, like Terry has said, we have Representative Angie Hatton here today, who serves as the Minority Whip and represents the 94th District, which includes Letcher and part of Pike County. Additionally, we'll have um, Senator Julie Rocky Adams, who serves as Majority Caucus Chair and who represents District 36, which is a part of Jefferson County. So before I start diving into questions, um, I'm going to give Jesse and I are going to give you a quick refresher on the topic today, because I know a lot of turkey or ham or side were consumed before our last meeting. Um, so today is actually a part two, like Terry alluded to, of um, the kids count conversation. So Jesse, I'm going to turn it over to you so you could share some of the resources that we have on our website. All right. Thanks, Mahek. So I'm going to share my screen for just a minute here and just show you all some of the stuff that we have. Um, Y'all can see my screen. Yeah, okay, great. So this is the Kentucky Kids Count page. You get this, to this by going to our website, going to data and research, clicking on Kentucky Kids Count. And um, <clears throat> we have, this is a flip book of the county data book. Ooh, I'm awe. So that's how you get to that. And um, we also have it as a PDF. We have our press release, which features some data highlights, county profiles. I am sure all of you on this forum know, but we have a profile for every single Kentucky county um, for all of the domains that we cover in the county data book. And um, it includes school district data for those counties that may have multiple school districts. Um, and then we have uh, Spanish language materials this year for the first time. Uh, we have the press release, we have the essay, which is sort of that dual pandemics frame, that theme that really discusses a number of data points um, as well. Uh, we have the state data profile, which is all 17 of those indicators, and also the Jefferson County profile available in Spanish as well. Um, and then Something that many of you may know, but in case you don't, we also have a data dashboard. And if we go to that, uh, you know, we always talk about what gets measured gets changed, what gets measured gets changed. And when you think about what is going to be um, kind of the foundational data for the Blueprint for Kentucky's Children policy agenda, here is a great place to see all of that in one place. So all of the indicators that we include in our county data book, along with um, the trend of whether or not those are moving in the right direction. And um, there's a little bit of explanation on some of these and um, graphs. And we also have uh, much of this data broken out by race and ethnicity. So um, there are a lot of different ways that you can kind of um, deep dive into this. I don't know if you can see this pop-up window, but um, it has, uh, you know, kind of broke, like kindergarten readiness broken out by race. So we just wanted to point you to all of these uh, resources along with the Kids Count Data Center, which has like, I'm not going to go into it, but it has like hundreds of indicators um, that you may want to check out around a, a number of um, topics related to child well-being, a number of data related to child well-being. So you can also find that from the same page. So Mahek, I think I'm going to turn it back over to you to get our conversation started. Awesome. Thank you. 
So thank you for that refresher. I think that's helpful for the week that we've had, um, just to remind everyone what we're talking about here today. So um, I'm just going to dive in and say, you know, across the Commonwealth in urban and rural settings, children and family of all races and ethnicities has have really truly experienced significant challenges in 2020. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted our daily routines, hurt families' ability to meet basic needs. Um, And also there's a a threat amongst our health and safety right now with the pandemic. So it's, um, and on top of that, it's also made us deeply aware of the disparities um, among people of color. And so with that being said, you know, that's why our theme today is really that dual pandemics. Um, And we want to just dive in, Representative Hatton, and ask you, um, what are you seeing um, in your community? What are you hearing from your constituents um, as it relates to these dual pandemics? Well, thank you for having me today. Um, I'm thrilled to be part of the discussion and am a huge fan of Kentucky Youth Advocates um, and um, humbled that um, uh, maybe folks think that I I would have something to add to this very important discussion. Um, I'm a mom. uh, I I served on site-based council for five years at at my kids' two different schools um, before I was elected. Um, and I served as a prosecutor in Letcher County, assistant county attorney for nine years. So I did every Tuesday do the DNA cases, the de- um, dependency, neglect and abuse cases. Um, so I am familiar with a whole lot of, of these topics firsthand, having worked with social workers um, every day, not just on Tuesdays, but especially on Tuesdays where we had to bring these things um, to court and try to find ways to help kids. And so these were um, the areas that informed my um, opinions on on, uh, these kinds of things before I became a legislator. And now as a legislator, I'm extremely um, cognizant of the fact that I'm chosen as a representative. That's that's my my title, and I'm supposed to represent those in my community who need my help. And to me, that has always meant that um, those whose voices aren't normally heard can be heard if I'm willing to listen. So I'm so grateful for books like the Kids Count um, data that you put out every year. Because, like you guys say, you know, what, what gets measured gets changed. And um, we, we have to have these sort of data points to um, base our um, legislation on and our votes. I participated in a, a forum that Annie Casey Foundation did in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago about data-driven legislation um, and learned a whole lot from, from participating in that panel and um and listening for a couple of days in on that forum. But what I'm seeing out in my community now is um, definitely backing up a lot of the things that are in these uh, the data points that you brought me. I, I particularly printed Letcher County and Pike County. Those are the counties that I have um, and have been taking a closer look at them. I'm also on the um, child welfare um, 
Advocacy and Oversight Committee, which is tasked with looking at ways we can reform our foster care system and our adoption process in Kentucky. So um, always looking um, for more information about um, the state of, of kids in Kentucky. Um, I know that we've all noticed that the disparities we were aware of before the pandemic have been brought into really sharp focus during the pandemic. You know, it has really um, highlighted and shown a bright light on the ways that Kentucky kids are experiencing inequality. We all have been looking closer at race relations and, and the idea of systemic racism in every aspect of our government since the Black Lives Matter protest um, went not just uh, nationwide, but internationally and, and all across Kentucky, including in little, little towns like mine in Eastern Kentucky. And we're all looking at um, people that we're worried about. And I think that this um, study and today's topic are going to be really crucial in protecting vulnerable Kentuckians. Thank you, Representative Hatton. And I love that you've attended an Annie Casey conference. Um, it kind of brings it all to full circle here um, today. So, um, you know, we hear our attendees here today are from across the state. Um, most of our advocates are, and it's always great to hear bright spots in the community. And I just wanted to dive in to see and hear from you um, what's happening in Letcher County. You know, are you, are you seeing um, some catalysts for change in your community? Definitely. You know, I, I, I don't remember who, who said it first, but I, I've read it a lot of places that whenever things are horrible and you look around and there's something terrible going on in your community, that you should always look for the helpers. And hopefully all of us on this call are those helpers. I mean, that's the way I see the people who would be interested in tuning into a forum like this, that we want to be the helpers in a situation like this. It's going to be long-term effects on our community. Um, I was reading something about the 1918 um, Spanish flu, um, some pretty fascinating stuff about how kids that were born during the, the Spanish flu um, epidemic, um, the kids who, whose, whose mothers were exposed, even in utero, um, the kids were exposed, had greater medical problems later in their lives, such as schizophrenia, diabetes, and stroke. And um, with all of the things we were already facing in my community, like the opioid epidemic. And we don't know for at least another generation how that's going to affect kids who were born addicted or raised by grandparents because they were, um, you know, had parents who were unable to care for them because of opioid addiction. Um, and so we already had all of those things we were dealing with. And now what I'm seeing in my community is that with kids out of school, the um, lack of internet access has um, disproportionately affected kids in Eastern Kentucky, which, I mean, we already knew that, but now it's the only way they can learn. And so we're, we're worried in my community. We, we don't have a large minority population in my community. In, in my district, it's about 1%. So um, we, we haven't seen as much um, sharp focus on racial disparity as much as there is disparities that are based on poverty 
but I'm, I'm reading a whole lot about how those things are interchangeable. And some of my legislative friends in inner city parts of the state, uh, inner city Louisville, um, Representative Attica Scott and, and some others, we talk a whole lot about how the, um, the issues that we face are the same because poor is poor. And in a lot of cases, race has contributed to factors that kept um, folks from succeeding financially throughout the generations. And then, you know, there's geographic restrictions like where I live and that they're all comparable. They're all um, a, a basis for creating an understanding. Thank you for that. Um, and I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper in what you just said. You know, poverty, we know, impacts not only, you know, success of a child's education, their health outcomes, um, where they're going in the future. Um, but I just, I wanted to touch on, you know, as a state legis uh, legislator in, in, in leadership position, um, what, what are some solutions that we as a state can tackle? Oh, that's, that's an easy question. <laughs> I know, I kind of just threw you into it. <laughs> Well, I really hope that as we go into this legislative session in 2021, and it's going to be a short session, it's a 30-day session, and we also have to pass a budget, which we normally only do in even years. We pass a two-year biennial budget. This year, we had to, we have to do a budget because we only did a one-year budget last year. So um, in a short session, getting a budget done is in itself accomplishment. But I really hope that we are able to find time to analyze this data to look around us at the disparities that have been just thrown into sharp contrast and, and exposed by this pandemic and make a big effort to reallocate our resources to help those who are most, most vulnerable. Um, and I think that if we are able to get people to the conversation, I watched your forum that you did back in November where you had a couple of um, uh, key members of the, the Senate and the House from the majority party come on. And today you're having Senator Rocky Adams, who's powerhouse and, uh, you know, a strong voice for for um, children and someone who's, you know, like me, serves in leadership in her party and is able to um, to get some tension, has a, a good platform. I think that if we're able to educate and get the information that like what we're sharing today to the people that matter, that maybe maybe this session won't be focused on political fighting and just, um, I don't know, I hear a whole lot about how we're going to try to take powers from the governor this coming session, and people are talking about wanting to impeach the governor, and we're going to just try to roll back his authority to to protect people in a pandemic, and um, that that's what we're going to talk about this session. I really, really hope that that's not the case. I hope that what we're doing is what you just asked about, like finding real solutions to ending the disparities, um, the childcare deserts that we find throughout our state, including where I live. Uh, I think 50% of the state or, or something close to it um, find themselves living in an area where childcare just is, like the access is not, not sufficient. And during the pandemic, especially, I mean, and, and I know that those in minority communities, that situation is often even worse. So uh, the solutions are that we, we listen to, to data like this and we do bipartisan legislation aimed 
in a, in a laser pinpointed way at fixing each problem that you see in, you know, the, the printouts from, from my county and the counties surrounding me in Eastern Kentucky and all the surrounding the counties that are, you know, minority, um, are heavier in minority populations. So that I believe in Kentucky, we all do better when we all do better. Thank you for that. I know that was a loaded question, so, <laughs> so I appreciate your response. So you touched on your community and how um, digital divide with, you know, just internet access. That has been a huge issue. You touched on childcare deserts. Are there a, a couple more that you could dive a little bit deeper, whether that's within the health um, section or the family and community section? Well, I mean, Access to, to health care has been an issue for all poor people. Um, in, in America, you know, other countries are doing it better, but in America, um, in minority communities and in communities like mine where, um, you know, there's way more people living below the poverty line, um, access to health care has been a real challenge and um, attracting, you know, good health care professionals to our area. Um, the Affordable Care Act has made a huge difference. Um, the uh, reinstituting the the Connect program, KY Connect program, to help identify which children are um, underserved and and haven't accessed the healthcare they're entitled to. Um, in my little community alone, the Affordable Care Act allowed one clinic with five locations to hire a hundred people, and those have been good paying jobs. And for the first time in their lives in my community, a lot of people now have access to affordable dental care for the first time. Um, uh, diabetes preventative care, um, optometric care, and substance abuse treatment. Um, I, I know and I've read that especially in, in, in Latinx communities, that's even harder than, than what we're dealing with in the poor communities that I serve. But um, that's that's one other area I could think of that deserves their attention. And I think you just nailed it. It's a, a comprehensive approach when looking at healthcare. You know, it's not just the physical health, but the mental health and the oral health and everything um, intertwined with that. And because we're talking about health, um, I just wanted to ask because one of our solutions was just the growth of telehealth across the state. Um, have you been seeing that in your community? Have, have you heard if your constituents have been using telehealth during this process? Yes, very, very, very much. Um, I have a brother who's a physician and um, we have discussions um, without ever violating HIPAA, of course, that about the ways that his patients have been able to take advantage of it. Unfortunately, a lot of them in the more rural areas don't have internet service. So they'll drive to town and sit, you know, outside the public library or um, a restaurant or even outside the clinic sitting in the parking lot, you know, and, and talking to their doctor by telehealth. And of course, it was a safer way to do things, but there are limitations. Um, hopefully, when this pandemic is over, it's going to be used um, alongside in-person visits where, you know, doctors are able to, to get folks in there to have the more in-depth discussions because sometimes older people or less educated people are a little less comfortable with the technology. Um, and it feels, feels like public speaking to some people, I think when, when you're 
when you're doing telehealth and, and that's hard to, especially if you feel like you're sort of broadcasting personal details of your health. So it has limitations, but uh, thank goodness for it this year. Certainly. And we've seen a huge, um, just in our kids count data, we've seen a huge um, percentage increase. I think it was 8,000%. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, which is quite insane. I mean, I guess when you're thrown into it, that's the only mode. So um, I think you just alluded to the challenges and successes of how telehealth has played out in your community. Um, another question that I had for you is, you know, given your background in the justice system, knowing that children thrive when they have healthy and strong relationships with adults in their lives, um, you know, Kentucky can truly minimize parental incarceration by other alternatives. Um, and so I just wanted to get your point of view. What can we do in that arena? At one point, I think Kentucky was leading the nation in number of children affected by incarcerated parents. I think the most recent thing I heard is maybe we're third in the nation now, which is still nothing to be proud of. We incarcerate women at a higher rate than any other state except maybe Oklahoma. I haven't looked at the data lately to see exactly where we're at, but uh, an awful lot of those people would never have been incarcerated were it not for their substance abuse issues. Um, they would not normally have been committing crimes or um, been, found themselves in situations where they're charged with crimes. Um, and I know that there are alternatives. Um, people everywhere in every arena um, in places where we're talking about criminal justice reform, we're talking about prevention, we're talking about three-step um, substance abuse treatment where you uh, detox, then you treat, and then the third step is the sort of reintegrating into the community. And a lot of different ways that people are talking about doing that are um, centered around allowing parents to have their children with them. Um, so like there's a, a new rehabilitation facility that opened is opening in Pike County soon um, where mothers, this one's for women only, are allowed to have their small children with them. And then the kids also get counseling. Um, all it, It's going to be more of a, a broad approach. It's not just treating the mom's addiction. It's treating um, the mental health issues that may have led to addiction. It's treating the lack of um, education or work certifications that would allow her to feed her kids and lead to depression. It's it's treating that depression. It's, it's getting um, access to all of the basic health needs and vaccinations and things like that, that, that the child might need, counseling for the kids, seeing to the, the, the kids' um, educational needs, um, and, and those sort of broader approaches to treating substance abuse um, surely will lead to less incarcerated parents leaving their kids for years at a time. Thank you for that holistic approach and bringing it back together. That's the word I kept trying to say, holistic. <laughs> well, there you go. And it's perfect timing because we have Senator Julie Rocky Adams that just joined us as well. So hello, um, Senator. We actually were just going through the various um, information that we have in the Kentucky Kids Count book where we talked about the digital divide and how that's been a huge impact for kids and families during this time. We talked about the childcare deserts. We talked about the justice community um, and what we could change in the justice system as well as um, talked about health and looking at you know how telehealth has 
kind of blown up and increase of utilization as as you know within the, the um, Senate Health and Welfare Committee you've heard that quite a bit lately and so I just wanted to now kind of ask you since you're on um, the call what are you hearing and seeing as it relates to the dual pandemics in your community um, so Senator Adams yeah thank you and um, it's I'm glad to be on the call. I always like to hang out with Angie, even if it's virtually. Um, Hi, Senator. It's, um, you know, this has been, it's been so, well, first of all, I love the Kids Count book because it keeps folks like myself and Angie kind of in the loop about, you know, what the numbers and what the data are telling us. Um, I think that 2020 has been, um, a year where we've kind of gone just by feeling it out, but we don't really have this grasp of data yet. And um, and so there's a lot of conversation around, well, are these decisions the correct decisions? Are these decisions hurting more? So it's really been, um, I think, a very challenging year for policymakers to know what the right thing to do is, because we've just never been in this position before. So hopefully kind of the tone I like to set is that we're not super critical about what has been done or hasn't been done, but that we can use things like the kids count book to kind of come together and see if we can work together and formulate what I think are um, policy decisions that, um, that could benefit those most in need. Okay. And I, I guess I'll go into a little bit more detail about what I mean and um, first, let me preface this by saying, I, I think that um, it's a very healthy thing to do to always revisit our institutions. I don't think that it's anyone placing blame on an institution or calling them a failure. I look at it as if it's, it, it's the responsible thing to do to revisit these institutions and see if we can do better. Um, so with that being said, um, looking at the educational statistics from the kids count book relative to what we're experiencing right now with kids not being in school, that's going to, I think that is going to be our most um, significant area of decrease for our kids going forward. Um, there's socialization aspects to that. There's mental health aspects to that. There's educational of course, aspects to that. And I'm very, very concerned that this pandemic is going to set our kids back. I mean, I know I've even thought privately in my own head, I'm glad my children are a little bit older because they're able to process kind of what's going on better, but they're still not old enough to process it completely. Um, and this is going to have, a, I, I think, really long-asking impact impacts on our kids. They're being over-medicated. They're um, increasing in their levels of anxiety, which is increasing in prescription um, uh, script writing. And then to Angie's point, so much of what devastates families begins with this drug, with drugs and, uh, and the addiction issue in families. And it's been proven that the sooner, the earlier that kids get on pharmaceuticals, the problem usually consists into um, older childhood and adulthood. And so I, 
So like I said, there's no answer, but we have to be cognizant of these pressure points. And we have to also not get our feelings hurt if we decide to look at an institution and say, hey, let, let's revisit how we're doing things here. Thank you for that, Senator Adams. And um, just circling back to the other part of what we've highlighted in the Kids Count data book um, is we really emphasize or re-emphasize, I should say, the systemic and racial um, inequities that black and brown children have been continually facing. And, mm -hmm. you know, with being in Louisville um, and you representing Louisville, can you talk more about that and, you know, kind of discuss what's been happening in the community and some solutions that we could really focus? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's never been more present than in the city of Louisville. You know, we've had um, a lot of challenges over the summer. Um, and, uh, and so it's really kind of forced, particularly those in Louisville, but all across the state to kind of think about these issues. And the truth is, um, there is, the issues that have been brought up are so valid and so real. And, um, I think in a way it's been sad that it's taken this to make people focus on it, but I'm glad that we're focusing on it now because there is, um, and I'm not afraid to say it, we have had systematic and institutional racism in all of our, um, all across the, um, all across the board in Louisville and even in Kentucky. And so it's about time that we look at that. I think one of the things that you'll see as we move into the session, clearly the budget, we're going to have to have, um, we have to produce a one-year budget. Um, and we have to also have some COVID um, type measures that we're going to have to do. You know, now that we're almost a year into it, how do we manage? How do we adjust? How do we get better? How do we improve on the COVID front? But then also there's a real conversation that needs to be had with regard to this um, with the inequities that we face in Kentucky. And, um, and I think for me, it's a moral issue. And so I will be talking about it. I've been working on a few things, um, particularly the Jefferson County delegation has been very active in trying to figure out what the right answer is. You know, we have a short session, so it's not like we're gonna have these super groundbreaking things, but we have to do something. We have to show people that we're listening and that we are committed to making a difference. And um, I always like to say, how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's one bite at a time. How do you tackle this systemic inequity that we have? And it's just kind of one bite at a time. So I'm optimistic that maybe we can get something done on that front too. Now, you know that you've now intrigued me by saying that you're working on something. And so <laughs> my next question is, can you share with our advocates what you're working on or at least like a quick sliver of what that might look like? Yeah, and it's, it, it, I think that um, if you look at, um, you know, take healthcare, for instance, you know, we have, uh, you know, some people have the misperception that if you live in an urban or suburban area that you somehow have access to all of these healthcare providers and, you know, testing and, and on down the line. Well, you don't. We have a lack of primary care physicians in West Louisville. How do you fix that? How do you get, um, in my opinion, it's not a matter of just trying to figure out to get docs in that area. How do you get nurse practitioners in that area? How do you get other healthcare providers 
so that you have just general primary access to primary care. That's critical. That's that's basic. Um, so we're working on um, trying to expand the scope of practice for the advanced practice um, nurse practitioners. And um, so I'm hoping that that will gain some traction. It's We've introduced it before, but it's I think it's more critical now than ever. Um, if you look at, um, you know, kind of the criminal justice system, Angie's a much better, um, she's more adept at these issues than I am, but um, you have to look at who we're incarcerating, uh, why we're incarcerating them. Would a white child be sent to jail or let go over a black child? And so we have just at, at its basic infancy, a, a real disparity about how white kids are treated and black kids are treated. And as they get older, how white kids have access to addiction recovery and black kids seem to not. And so those are some of the kind of the inequities that we're thinking about working on. And also I think at it, it, its core, we've been working on kind of an economic type of platform because of um, access to opportunity is a real problem. And um, why should you pay more for car insurance if you live in the West end of Louisville than if you live in the East end of Louisville. I mean, I think car insurance is car insurance. And so we disenfranchise people in all these very subtle ways. And it's time for us to stop that disenfranchisement. Senator and um, Representative Hatton, it's so great to hear you all speaking up and being leaders for this specific issue. Um, like you mentioned, Senator, it it's taken us a while to all be on the same page and mention and discuss these um, issues that are impacting the black and brown um, families across the state and the children as well. And so I know as a person of color, I appreciate you saying that and speaking up. So thank you for that. Um, and I'm kind of gonna take another turn here and ask Senator Adams, um, and I'm only doing this because you know Representative Patton has had these <laughs> questions. <laughs> as well. So I'll give you a break after this one, <laughs> Senator Adams. But um, I just wanted to ask what are, you know, with our advocates being from across the state, you know, what are some catalysts of change that you've been seeing in the community or bright spots in your community that you want to uplift right now? Yeah, I think that, um, I think one of the brightest spots is, you know, I've seen just over my years of being in public life that um, those people or those communities that don't have a strong voice usually get left behind. Um, it's the ones that have the lobbyists. It's the ones that have money to contribute. It's the ones that have all this who usually get priority because they're right in your face all the time. And I think one of the things that I have felt is a very organic kind of grassroots movement and not just from the black and brown communities, but other people who have decided that now it's time to lift those communities up and increase their voice when it comes to public policy and increase their voice when it comes to the conversation about resources and equity and um, fixing problems. And so I have felt that increasing that advocacy, increasing their voice has raised them to the level that it's it's time that we 
we pay attention. And, um, and that's a very good thing because we should have been paying attention and now we are. And, um, and so I, I've been very, you know, some people get nervous when there's protest or advocacy going on, that kind of thing doesn't bother me at all. I think it's really wonderful. I think it's very American. And, um, and I think it's good for us to hear that and good for us to listen to that. It's a lever for change. Yeah. Certainly. So we can't be Kentucky youth advocates without asking about policy solutions. You know, we're gearing up for the session. We're going to unveil our blueprint um, next week during this virtual advocate space um, at the same time. And so I just want to ask you all, what are some policy or practice changes or things community members can do to really um, address these barriers that we've discussed, whether that's health, whether that's education. You know, we talked a lot about being in this vir virtual space is kind of holding children back to some degree since it's not the same. Um, or whether that's the justice system. Um, I'm just going to let you both riff on some policy or solutions. <laughs> Do you want to go first since I'm all talked out? Or I'll go <laughs> I had a chance to, to sip some coffee. So, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to point out for those who um, may not know that um, Senator Adams and I are um, not of the same political party, but we are both um, always looking for ways to reach across the aisle to find solutions. I, I firmly believe that um, on 80% of the issues, all Kentuckians pretty much believe the same way. And then yeah. we've got 20% of folks who, or 20% of issues that drive folks crazy to the point that the people that you <laughs> sit with at the Little League game or on the, you know, on the pews at church with, you can no longer speak to, or people that would normally be at your Thanksgiving table, maybe virtually this year, you can't even have a conversation with anymore because of 20% right. of issues that divide us. And, and like Senator Adams, I... I mean, my daughter will say it all the time. She's 16. She says, I love a rally. I love a protest. You right. know, we, we do. And and those those aren't things that cause fear for a politician who values listening to um, their constituents. We, we are their representatives. And that is our primary job is to listen and then be that voice for folks who don't normally have a very loud voice because, um, as, as Senator Adams referenced, they don't have money to hire lobbyists. So, and Kentucky Youth Advocates does that for kids. And that's that's what I love about it is that these kids, especially the marginalized kids, um, now have a voice because of the statistics that you guys put together that end up um, making a congregation of all of their individual stories so that we, we have to look at them. You bring them into sharp focus and you put them on our desks down here in the Capitol. So policy solutions have been discussed back and forth for years, the criminal justice reform, the substance abuse reform, the, um, the access to health care, the public education funding. All of these things affect poor people, whether they be minority um, communities or Appalachian communities like mine, uh, at a much higher rate and in a much more dangerous way than they do um, the kids who are wealthy and uh, the healthiest and the wealthiest and, and the widest kids across the state. So, and, you know, 
we, we see these disparities in sentencing. We see them in um, whether they're charged in the first place, especially in the juvenile justice system. There's all sorts of ways that we're looking at this. One of the ways that we're, we're talking about is um, basing um, uh, punishment more uh, less on punishment and more on actually uh, fairness. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the word right now. You'll think of it, Senator Adams, before I do. Um, restorative justice. That's it. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so that, that you were asking about policy, and that's the policy that I had in mind. Although I, I, I obviously need one more cup of coffee this morning before my words will work properly. <laughs> No, Angie's right. The um, the restorative justice. I know that there's been um, there's been a really good conversation and a really good work group put together on that. I have not been a part of it, but I do have uh, a colleague who's been a part of that. I know Angie's been a part of that. The administration, and so um, I think things are really moving forward on that front. To to Angie's point. Why stick someone in jail when that's not going to solve the problem? And so they're just going to get out and they're going to have the same kind of mentality about um, situations. And so it's really important that we um, insert some sort of, uh, I call it like a timeout, like a kid timeout. And so you just kind of refocus that person and get them the help they need rather than just discard them. Um, so Angie's right. I think we're going to see a lot on that. Um, and I also think that um, there are, there have been some pre-filed bills on police reforms. Um, as we've seen, that's been such a hot topic as a result of all of the racial unrest. And, and it's real. I mean, I'm, I support the police, but I also think that, like I said previously, there should be no institution that we don't revisit our policies every time. And it's not, it's in no way saying that there's a failure. It's in saying that I think we can do things a little bit better. And so as long as we don't dig into our territories and we have open minds as to how we might improve in some of the things we're doing, then then that's good. That's good for all Kentuckians. Um, and so I, I think that we have seen some police reform bills filed, um, both House and Senate. Um, so I anticipate moving on that. And the only other thing that kind of gives me a little pause is um, it, just because I don't have the information, but what do our budget numbers look like? What are What holes are we going to be able to plug with revenue numbers, what holes are we going to be able to plug with some COVID relief dollars? You know, how how does that work? But as I say all the time, as a result of this pandemic, we have serious um, health and human services concerns that are critical to fund. I mean, absolutely critical because I'm worried that, that we're going to see different manifestations of this virus affecting kids mentally and um, for a while. And I really want to make sure that we think about that issue and that situation, that scenario, that problem, um, as we look at those budget, not those budget numbers. Yeah, there's going to be some short-term consequences and additionally long-term consequences that yeah. we as a state need to think through. Um, yeah. Assets of 
you know, just the budget itself in the different categories, but also our policies as well. So um, that's great to hear from you all on that topic. And I kind of want to leave, leave on a, a happier note, um, I should say, <laughs> by asking, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Oh, gosh. You know, I'll be honest. I'm looking forward because both of my kids are in college and um, and they both have struggled this semester quite a bit. Um, my oldest is super social and he has always felt he's been feeling very isolated lately because of this virtual component to his education. Um, and my youngest, he's more of a he's more shy and um, and he's also felt that. And so I'm, what I'm looking forward to is kind of that excitement that I see in kids that I used to see before this pandemic. I mean, it's, it, I, I want to see some happiness. I want to see some excitement. I want to see some um, thrill for the future and what might there, you know, what, what there will be out there for kids to experience. And, um, and I think that we'll get that once we have the vaccine and we get some people taken care of. But I, I just want some happiness and some excitement to go back in. I yeah, I, I would say the exact same thing. I'm looking forward to that vaccine because it feels like that's the only thing at this point that's going to get get us back to normal. I have one that's still in high school. I have a son who's a freshman at, at Moorhead State, and then my daughter's a junior in high school, and she just needs something to look forward to. Right. She needs, you know, a concert, a soccer tournament. She needs, right. she needs those things in her life, and I do too, you know, and I, I'm, I realized through all this Zooming that I've been doing this year that I, I take a lot more of the way that I learn and communicate um, from nonverbal cues and body language. And it's difficult on a Zoom when you're worried, if, you know, I, I don't know about a, a crowd looking at you on TV. <laughs> And, and it, I'm, I'm just so looking forward to being able to, you know, if I go out to a school and, and talk to kids that like, I get to hug some of them. Yeah. You know, I miss touching people. <laughs> I miss yeah. the giant family. Hattons are like rabbits. There's like a stinking ton of us everywhere. <laughs> and we're not getting to like hug each other like we used to. And I'm missing all that. But I also feel like we have learned so much from this year. You know, and a lot of it's been awful. It's been awful to look at to the right. point that I had to turn off the news for hours or even a day. Um, but it's taught us an awful lot about ourselves. Things that we glossed over and thought were okay aren't, um, right. especially for our kids. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, working with folks like Senator Adams who are interested in getting past um, Monday morning quarterbacking I need to get a better non-sports reference, but I don't want us to look back at what we did wrong. Um, right, right. In a situation we weren't prepared for, we, we didn't have an apparatus in place to deal with 2020. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to talking with and working with people who want to analyze what happened, what happened to us, what went wrong, what's wrong with us, and then how do we fix it? 
Well, I, I know I could speak for at least Terry and myself, and we love all the sports references that you're throwing out. <laughs> you find that relatable. Um, but I think I heard a good quote not too long ago is we all went into 2020 wanting something more. Instead, we actually what we got was actually appreciating every little thing that has happened in our life and valued more of what you know our daily life is like. And so I think what you all said is so relatable to what families in Kentucky are facing. Um, and so I appreciate that. And one last thing before I turn it over is, can you um, share how do we get a hold of you? I know we have a lot of advocates on the call here today. Um, what are ways that they could get in touch with you? Well, I have an electronic leash on me at all times. So this is, everyone has my cell phone number. It's 606-335-2181. You can text me. You can call me. Um, you can reach me at the legislature at, at the LRC office. Um, phone number is 502-564-8100, uh, where you can leave a message for me. Um, or sometimes if I'm here, Connected directly, my email address at LRC is Angie.Hatton at LRC.KY.gov. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And because of my kids, I have to con constantly try to monitor the stinking Snapchat, which, you know, I, I, I'm not quite a boomer, but Snapchat has me a little baffled. Try not to contact me that way. Um, but all the other ones are pretty good. You can also absolutely come and see me just as soon as we're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I want to say I, I echo Representative Hatton's um, comments when she said that it's fun to work together. She really is a pro. And the best thing about Representative Hatton is that she cares so deeply and she is a good listener. And so she's such a champion for kids and uh, particularly in her community, but across the state. So it's been fun getting to know her and working with her. Um, but I'm the same way. If you want to call me, it's five, six or five Oh two, five, six, four, 8,100. And mine is Julie dot Adams at LRC.KY.gov. I'm on Twitter, but I try not to be on Twitter too much because sometimes people are so mean on Twitter. So I, 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 you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then my cell phone is 502-744-9264. So that's me. You guys are rock stars and we truly appreciate having you on today. Thank you for your time and access and most importantly, what you do for kids across the state. And one thing I took away is I'm surprised Representative Hatton's on Snapchat because I don't even have that. <laughs> Me neither. I'm, so poor. I'm, I'm, I'm poorly, poorly, poorly on Snapchat. I do it wrong all the time. Like my kids are embarrassed to death. I'm really, I'm only on there to try to monitor them, and then you can't on Snapchat. So I'm baffled. Doing a bad job at it. Well, I think it's pretty impressive. I'm going to now turn it over to my colleague Ben Geese to wrap us up. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mahek. And I want to begin our wrap up today by giving a big shout out and thank you to our two guests today, who are absolutely wonderful: Senator Julie Rocky Adams and Representative Angie Haddon. Uh, we also want to give a big thank you to today's sponsor, Aetna Better Health of Kentucky, for their support of today's virtual forum. And just to sort of wrap up in the similar way that Mahek did on sharing some reflections, um, I'll share my reflections on today's call. 
Um, and that's really one around inspiration. You know, we hear so much about the back and forth of Frankfurt. And of course, we know that 2020 has been a terribly challenging year. But when we get to hear from two inspiring leaders of opposite ends of the political spectrum who treat each other so well and so cordially, and who really serve as an example for the rest of us and all Kentuckians and what we do, that's a moment for inspiration. It's also a moment for inspiration to see the reliance on data that two such distinguished leaders use in their everyday work. I know it does my heart good, and I'm sure it does Terry's and Mahek's and Jesse and Patricia's heart good when we all see legislators at the Capitol holding up the 2020 Kids Count data book. So thank you so much for that. We very much appreciate it. I also want to give the rest of our attendees who joined today some information about other uh, virtual forums that are upcoming and other ways that you can be involved. Uh, first and foremost, we'll be sharing even more data about these dual pandemics in an upcoming National Kids Count publication from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. So please be on the lookout for that. And also for next week, we will be discussing the 2021 Blueprint for Kentucky's Children Policy Priorities. That's a big one, so be sure to join in then. And we will also be joined by Senate President Robert Stivers, who will join to give a look ahead to the 2021 General Assembly. So we're certainly looking forward to getting that insider information. And lastly, as always, our follow-up email will include a recording of today's forum, along with links to the Kids Count materials, the slide deck, and links to the RSVP for next week's forum and for Children's Advocacy Week, which is coming up February 1st through 5th. I wanna thank you all so much for your time today and we look forward to seeing you again here soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.